Welcome to On Stage, Off Stage, the show for, of, and about theater and the good folks who toil away unceasingly to bring it to you. My name is George Sapio, and we are broadcasting on WRFI 88.1 FM in Ithaca, 91.9 FM Watkins Glen, and 89.9 FM in Odessa. Radio for the people and by the people, broadcasting independent and locally produced programs. Welcome to On Stage, Off Stage. My name is George Sapio, and I am sitting here today with Steve Ponton, the artistic director of the Ithaca Shakespeare Company, and Mike Donato, who is playing Shylock in the upcoming production of The Merchant of Venice. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. Steve, you've been running the Ithaca Shakespeare Company for how many years now? Uh, Ten plus Okay. Maybe closer to 11 now, something like that. Why Shakespeare? Why Shakespeare? Um, Because it's more satisfying to work on. Uh, He wrote the best scripts for turning into productions, I think. Okay. Had you ever done theater before, acting before? Yeah, I had done acting and and a certain amount of directing um, in various places as as an undergrad and uh, when I was working on my master's and stuff. Okay. And that was where? Uh, various places. I went to undergrad uh, several different places, and then I did a master's at Ohio State uh, before coming here to Cornell. So, founding a Shakespeare company, I mean, that's not something somebody runs out and does, you know, every day. Um, What kicked you into gear on this one? Um, Well, it was, I sort of fell into it by accident. Um, I wanted to direct Shakespeare plays because that's, you know, I'm, I'm not that into reading Shakespeare. I like, like I said, Shakespeare as a, as a blueprint for a performance. So I wanted to direct Shakespeare. Uh, and when I got here, there really wasn't any place for me to do that. Uh, you know, the pe- people who were doing Shakespeare uh, either weren't doing it in a way that I thought was satisfying or, uh, you know, I, I just couldn't get into some of the other uh, possibilities. So um, when, you, when you with, say weren't doing it in the way you were happy with or are you saying but you're a purist, or what What was going on with those productions that you found disconcerting? Um, no, I'm not a purist, and in fact, Shakespearean purists probably hate me most of the time, because uh, I don't have a great deal of, of reverence towards Shakespeare. I will bend and twist and, and manipulate him uh, as much as possible to do whatever I want. Um, what bugged me about people doing Shakespeare was that they weren't doing it well, uh, they weren't doing it uh, compellingly. Um, there were actors who were just sort of going through the motions, just saying the lines because they were there without really, you know, uh, a sense of what what was in the lines and what they were what they could do with the lines. They weren't getting enough out of them, uh, and they weren't uh, they weren't bringing the plays to life in a way that was really exciting and compelling uh, in the way that I think Shakespeare should be. So they were um, so. I wanted to do something that was different from that, uh, and that really did bring the place to life. Um, so, you know, kind of in the spirit of Shakespeare's theaters, more so than, uh, you know, than out of any sort of reverence for Shakespeare as, you know, this holy Right, thing. right. Well, I know from acting in a few Shakespeare plays and directing a couple and seeing many, right, that... He could easily be the most abused playwright mm-hmm. on stage, and I'm saying abused just because. <laughs> um, it's hard to delve into. It's hard to discover because there literally 
and I, I know I sound like a, a, a modern person here, but just so many words. Mm-hmm. And finding the meaning of words that are no longer current mm-hmm. is confusing. And we know in the age of short attention span America um, that six people have already turned this program off just because, you know, they've got Twinkies in the oven. It's hard to maintain an audience. So how do you circumvent that? I mean, how do you... You, you have packed houses every single time, practically every single time. So far. Well, I mean... What, what is it that, I mean, when you're in there directing, when you're engaging with your actors, Mike, please feel free to jump in on this mm-hmm. anytime. How do you treat them? How do you treat the text? How do you bring it across? I, how do you ensure that Shakespeare is indeed exciting and compelling? Uh, how do I treat the actors badly? Um, well, I know that from experience. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we make Shakespeare compelling? Uh, I think you... Uh, you act through the words. Um, what you often see is uh, actors who are saying the words and maybe they're doing some sort of acting physical things, but there's no connection there. Um, you have to you have to put everything that you have into the lines and uh, and and play them with as much intensity. Uh, as possible, play what's going on for the character through the language uh, as much as possible. Uh, and I think when you do that, then you know it's it's not hard to uh, to keep the audience engaged because you know these are these are fascinating, passionate characters uh, facing the most intense, difficult situations of their lives uh, and expressing everything that's going on with them through this you know really rich, uh, complex language uh, that at the same time if you if you say it right it makes sense even to a modern audience uh, you know whether you get every single word or not it it makes sense uh, you can understand what is happening with the characters so I think um, that's I think that's part of what makes Shakespeare and I'm gonna use the word and not really mean it inaccessible is the fact that you when you just said you brought up knowing every word mm-hmm we tend as modern audiences to follow a script word by word. And then when we don't understand words, we start to get a little bit lost. Mm-hmm. But with Shakespeare, it's hard. It's, um, I think practically only a scholar could work their way through every single word in a Shakespeare play. So gleaning it from actions, from emotions, that sort of thing, without having to understand everything. My job, as I perceive it, as an actor in one of these plays, is to get beyond exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Knowing knowing that a lot of the audience is not going to be familiar with all the details of the play. They're not going to know all the our, some of the archaic language. They're not going to know what some of the illusions are. So my job is to make very sure that by the way I deliver the lines and the way I move myself on the stage and what I'm conveying is getting the point across so that people are feeling the emotion that's supposed to be felt um, when uh, an, an actor is doing a particular thing. These are, as, as Steve said, extremely passionate uh, characters. They're very complex characters, and it's the job of the actor to show that with the way you look on your face, with the way you say the lines, so much of the meaning comes across that way that if some of the wording is a bit unfamiliar, the audience still comes away like, I get it, and I feel it, and that's 
what people have said uh, to me and to others after the performances is that uh, it's different here when they come to see one of these Ithaca Shakespeare shows, that they come away feeling like they were really engaged um, and uh, that the, the, the language was clearly spoken. It didn't shoot over their heads, but they got the point every single moment because our goal was to convey an emotional and visual experience, not just being tied to the words. If you want to just know the words, read the play. And you know what? I don't like reading the plays. I don't really enjoy Shakespeare reading the plays. For me, it's all about watching those characters come alive on the stage. So that's what I try to do. Okay. So as an actor, when you approach a, a role, all right, as opposed to a Shakespearean role or a non-Shakespearean, let's say, modern role, do you prep differently? Uh, for the most part, no. Uh, my prep uh, for any role that I take is to first figure out who that person is that I'm supposed to be uh, portraying, and then how would that person think and feel and speak in a given situation. And that's going to be true if the play is set in 21st century Brooklyn or if it's in 17th century Venice. Uh, the, the idea is who is this person and what what are they feeling and doing, and how do they convey themselves? Uh, and so that sort of general level of preparation is the same. Now, uh, it's, a, it's a bit different for the Shakespeare parts because I need to be conscious of the fact that I need to remain true to the absolutely beautiful language that some of these characters are speaking, and at the same time to be very conscious of conveying that emotionality and, 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 and feeling and concept for people that aren't keeping up, per, perhaps, with every single word. Um, so I, I, I put maybe a little bit more attention in uh, to those sorts of things. And I guess I'll add one last plug for Shakespeare, not that he needs it from me, but uh, the, the, I have not seen anything written uh, in the last 200 years that engages me the way a Shakespeare play does. The characters are more deep, more complex, more subtle, more real, and the uh, dynamics of what the characters are doing with each other is much more intricate than I think just about anything else that I've seen. And I'm sure that there are people who will hear me say that and say, that's ridiculous, that's wrong, what about playwright A, B, and C? Uh, but there's, there's so much there. And it puts a responsibility on me as the actor to be trying to, to just really squeeze out of every single line uh, that I'm doing for a character of what does that line mean and how does it further show the complexity and, and, uh, of the character and uh, the interrelationship of what that character is trying to communicate by what, by what uh, he says. Do you have favorite lines? Oh, yeah. Are there, are there words that you've said on stage that every time you get to them you just can't wait to, to throw them out there at your stage partners or to the audience? Oh, sure. Um, you know, uh, one comes to mind right now, you know, just because thou art virtuous, dost thou think there should be no more cakes and ale. I recall saying that to you. Uh, uh, and I recall that being, night. yes, <laughs> yeah, said that, at me extremely vociferously. That was a great one. Uh, but uh, each one of the plays uh, gives these beautiful things for the characters to say. Uh, Merchant of Venice, uh, there, you know, I have, as, as the Shylock character, I right. have some of the more uh, famous lines in Shakespeare's absolutely uh, in yeah. Shakespeare's uh, vernacular if you tickle me do I not laugh right yes. you know and uh, and uh, yeah I think if if you prick us do we not bleed is one of the more famous lines that comes out of Shakespeare right that's a that's a great one but 
this is a in particular a play that I, I would have a hard time pulling out and saying there's a few lines that I really love because this one is particularly well written in my view. There's just not there's barely a thing that I say that I that I'm not amazed at how eloquently how beautifully how eloquently it's put i've heard that from so many actors who've done shakespeare that they they do modern plays they do this they do that but when the chance comes to do shakespeare or any shakespeare play they jump right in because as one person said to me the play itself is not that good but the lines are absolutely amazing lines are gorgeous and uh and i think the plays uh can be surprisingly good i mean the the, the shakespeare plays in general and merchant of venice in particular do an incredible job of, uh, of being ambiguous about what's right and what's wrong, who's good and who's evil. Uh, there is nothing, there's no character who's all good and no character who's all bad. And, uh, and so those things compete them uh, dynamically. And uh, Shakespeare, 400 whatever years ago, was doing things that modern cinematography is you know, kind of caught up with in the last few decades of things like stories within stories and jumping from one storyline right, to right. another line. Um, you know, just We're on uh, on stage, off stage here with George Sapio. Our guests today are Steve Ponton and Mike Donato of the Ithaca Shakespeare Company. Sorry to interrupt you there. You were going on a really good roll. Oh, uh, yeah. So what I, what I was saying is that these plays are exceptional uh, in the way that the characters have such incredible uh, richness to them where, you know, you can look at a character and that character's primarily a villain or that character is primarily, uh, you know, a, a buffoon or something You're or saying else. primarily. Yes, and, and they're never one thing. So and they're so, not stereotypical, they're not... They're, they're not two-dimensional, they are not stereotypes. They have depth, they have right. sympathy. And part of, part of the interesting thing for me is looking at the aspect of the character that might get overlooked and then make sure that it gets emphasized, right. make sure that it gets conveyed. Sometimes it's not even right directly in the text. Shakespeare was masterful at giving you clues of what your character thinks and does by the way certain phrases are, where you'd look at a sentence and say, why would, why would the character say such a thing? And when you think about it, it, it reveals that that character actually has fear about a situation or right. has love or has something else. Sure. And so then it becomes my job, because I might have one sentence to bring something out, you know, and, and to say, but this is something that's really important about that character. For example, for Shylock, right. um, you know, he's been pers- portrayed very differently over the centuries. He's a tricky character to work with. He's, there's an incredible um, range of emotions and then additionally, there's an incredible range of ways to play him. Right. Uh, it was common going back, I, I've, so I've read, I wasn't there, 200, 300 years ago, that he was a comic villain. Right. That he was like paid, played for pratfalls and, you know, and, and nobody really took him seriously. He's not going to get his pound of flesh. Of course not. More modern, it's become much more intense that, no, he really is going to get his pound of flesh. And you can look at the text and figure out which one is which. But... Whether he's a comic villain or a real villain, there are things that round him out as a character that make him understandable, where you can see why he would have so much bitterness and so much hatred that sure. he'd be driven to homicide. And my, and my job is to humanize him and to make him sympathetic uh, in things like he has a very warm and loving relationship with his daughter. He loves his daughter, and right. he trusts his daughter, and she betrays him horribly. Unbelievably, the and ultimate that, betrayal. Yes. And that wounds him yeah. to the heart. 
And part of what he does is he transfers all that frustrated hurt and anger onto his business rival. Um, and also the business rival is an awful guy. Um, he's good to his friends, mm -hmm. but he's awful to uh, someone who he perceives to be an inferior, a Jew. Right. And he, he is an awful racist, uh, the Antonio character. Sure. And so part of my job as Shylock is to play up the idea of this man has been awful to me. He has spit on me. He spit in my beard. He has stolen business ventures from me. He's he turned friends me against me. in public. He, he has, yes. He's humiliated yeah. me, right? And now he yeah. wants some money. And now, he, and now he puts himself at my mercy. There isn't any. Okay. Because I'm angry at him, and I'm, I've got displaced anger for my daughter. And the idea is I want people to understand. You know, at the end of the play, the, 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 do you even need to give a spoiler alert for a 400-year-old play? Spoiler okay. alert, 400-year-old play, and if you haven't read it, you need to go see this, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, at the end, you know, Shylock loses everything. He does. He, he is completely destroyed. He's lost his family. He's lost his name. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his stature in the merchant community. He's lost everything. And the, the interesting thing about the play is, depending on how you play that character, ah, the people the could be cheering for that, or they could be horrified and saying, oh, my God, that guy just didn't deserve that. When I first heard news that you were going to do Merchant of Venice, I thought, interesting choice. And I was discussing it with um, a couple of friends of mine. They said to me almost universally, why would you want to play him? And oh. I thought, okay, um, it's an interesting choice. Because I've, I've read the part, and I can see ways of, as you're talking about, bringing out his humanism, bringing out his, his, his depth, his, you know, his ability to be sympathetic. And I think we lose a lot in this age of sound bites where you know, the name Shylock has become... You know, a, a synonym for someone who's, you know, maybe he's going to cheat you or something right. like that. Right. In the, in the common parlance, Shylock, is, some people think of as he's just, you know, a money-grabbing, uh, stereotypical right. Jewish merchant. Well, okay? he was portrayed as a monster for, for years. For, for maybe centuries, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, sure. was, he was the archetype awful Jewish merchant who cared about nothing but money. And I will tell you that that, that stereotype is inaccurate. Of course In my is, view, yeah. according, there's so much in the play that makes it the opposite. People think of this as, uh, some people think of this as a, like a, a, a racially discriminatory play, that it's, that it is uh, outdated and it, it shouldn't, you know, some people would even say it shouldn't be shown because it, you know, it portrays Jews in a certain way. Steve, did you have any problems with that? I mean, when you were thinking about picking this play? I mean, it's one of Shakespeare's more famous plays. You know, I, it, there was never a point where I, I thought, oh, we sh Well, actually, I, I guess it, it did cross my mind, you know, uh, will there be a negative reaction to the fact that we're doing this play uh, at all? Um, but that was a minor thing. You know, I think the situation with uh, we had the same thing when we when we were going to do Taming of the Shrew. Right. You know, uh, you could have the same thing when you're doing Othello. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Shakespeare was not afraid to cross the line or push buttons. Right. Exactly. Uh, and what Shakespeare did, I think, the way I look at it, you know, uh, sh Shakespeare. We, what we have in Merchant of Venice is. It's a play about prejudice. It's not a prejudiced play. Right. You know, uh, Shakespeare took a problem or a situation and he holds it up and he put, develops a story around it and says, 
look at this from all sides. All right, so what he's given us in Merchant of Venice is a situation in which we have an oppressed minority, uh, the Shylock character who's living in this world where he is, uh, you know, looked down on and spat upon by uh, the people in in power and in authority, um, and and we experience the events that that grow out of this situation from both sides. So we see Antonio and you know the Venetians uh, and the way that they react, and then we see Ch Shylock, uh, and we we can see the situation from all those points of view, uh, and we see the way they act towards one another and the consequences of those actions. Um, you know, so that's what makes Shakespeare. Uh, so unique as a writer, I think, is that, um, you know, that perspectivism. Uh, we see the situation from all these different perspectives, uh, and then we see the consequences that grow out of the actions that people take. Um, so Shylock, uh, you know, if you, if you just say, you know, Shylock wants to cut a pound of flesh off this guy, you know, that sounds horrible. It sounds monstrous. Uh, but then when you look at the play and you see how he is treated throughout the play by uh, the Christian characters who are not in any way uh, extremely admirable, uh, you know, uh, then you see it's completely understandable how he builds up that amount of resentment, that amount of bitterness. And so when he finally gets his one chance to, uh, to have some power, to have some control, uh, and to take something back from these people who have taken so much from him, you know, uh, he can't stop himself from uh, from doing that. So, um, so it's a very human situation. It's a very understandable situation. This doesn't mean it's uh, it, you know nobody's right and nobody's wrong, or or basically right. everybody's wrong, uh, which is the way it typically works with Shakespeare. Well, so, uh, it, everybody's wrong. A, a lot of plays today, and I know from talking with other playwrights, that in in this day and age we seek to have redemption we seek to have closure we seek to be egalitarian we seek to be fair to everybody involved and while that's a noble purpose i think somehow it might dilute the nature of drama of of crisis which or the, the portrayal of life and it doesn't always work out right the world is not that neat it, it's definitely not that right? neat. Plays and, can be that neat, but the world is not that neat. Yeah, and and what, I think the reason people are still showing Shakespeare plays 400 years later is that uh, he shows the complexities and the subtleties and the contradictions of human interactions. They've got a realism to them that just doesn't fall nicely into let's have a happy ending. Right. I mean, at the end of this play, uh, you know, Shylock is destroyed and Antonio is redeemed. And is that the right thing to do? Because Shylock was driven to what he did by being treated monstrously. Right. I mean, he's a victim of, of religious discrimination, racial discrimination. He has just been abused in the worst sort of way. Um, and he's an intelligent guy and a proud man. And he has, uh, he has himself interfered with in every way that he cares about. And then he rages against that and then gets vilified for the very logical thing that he does. And so you look at the end of the play and you say, has what's happened here? Have we punished evil or have we, or have we rewarded evil? You know, and, and, uh, and that's how, that, there is no getting around that. No, there isn't. And the answer is, is yes. You know, you know, <laughs> yes. it, 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 it's all of the above. It always is. Shakespeare never gives us easy answers to these questions. He raises these incredibly difficult questions about you know, society and life and people, you know, you know, existing together and, and 
I heard uh, a lecture a while back. Somebody was talking about writing a good play. And he mentioned to the audience that you can do two things. You can write a play that will please the audience or you can write a good play, one that accurately reflects life in general. Mm -hmm. You can leave everybody with a happy ending and send them on their way home humming a tune or you can give themselves, you can give them something that cuts to the bone, something Uh, that speaks truth. I can only encourage playwrights to have the courage to write the good play and then have some confidence that people will get it and follow it. Uh, and Shakespeare's a model for that. There are others, you know, of course. I mean, he's yeah, not the sure, only great playwright. Uh, but uh, I, I tend to, you know, you asked picking parts and why would I oh, want yeah, to be Shylock. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not terribly interested in simpler parts that have a, you know, have a, 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 a less than fully rounded character and a predictable trajectory to the story. That's not nearly as interesting as the messiness of what goes on here. And to tie that, uh, tie that into your question before, of what do we do as actors when we're preparing? Um, we have to do, uh, to deliver this play right, we are thinking about how do we show that each of our characters has good sides and bad sides and does good things and bad things and justified and unjustified things and that they're very human in those imperfections. And, um, and then to have that kind of clash in a, in a clear, dramatic way that you see what's happening. You feel, you know, the good and the evil battling themselves out there. And, uh, and then at the end, people are going to feel the way that they feel based upon what they brought into the theater. And that's a really great dynamic. So, Mike, we've been talking about Shylock. We've been talking about the controversy. We're talking about the, the actual drama, the seriousness and the tragedy of this play. Um, Rather than put folks off, I mean, I, I know there's much more to Merchant of Venice than just Shylock. Oh, God, yes. Uh, it's, there's actually several plays going on all together, woven together in a beautiful story. Uh, it's primarily uh, a, love, a romantic comedy um, where what you have is uh, the story of a wealthy young woman who is being uh, put up for marriage by her deceased father through this process where suitors come from all over the world to try to get a chance to marry this woman uh, by uh, a puzzle that the father has created. The and boxes. The boxes, right? Yes, the, the, the boxes. The, right. the famous boxes. The yes. famous boxes, the gold, yes. silver, and lead boxes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the characters who come to woo her are, are ridiculous each in their own way, and it's very funny to watch them crash on the rocks of trying to get this uh, to, to, to get Portia as their prize, and watching Portia die a thousand deaths, fearing that she's going to be marrying one of these people. What people should expect when they come is that they're going to be entertained by uh, a story that is that has so many different notes in it. It's going to be happy and sad and heartwarming and gut wrenching and, and uh, mentally provocative, you know, making you question your beliefs coming in. And uh, so it, it really makes for a terrifically rich experience. So that answers for you, you know, why Shakespeare? Because boy, it's, it's terrific fun uh, to, to learn this. Excellent. Okay, we've got, when does the show go up? Uh, February 12th. February 12th, and that's going to be at? At Fall Creek Studios, which is part of the former Fall Creek Pictures building, uh, 1201 North Tioga Street. Cool. Tickets are on sale where? Tickets are on sale on the website, ithacashakespeare.org. You can order them online, and there are no service fees. I would personally recommend that you run out and get your tickets right now because these shows do sell out. 
I've seen it happen time after time after time, uh, especially shows that I'm not in. Uh, so <laughs> there you go. Steve Ponton, Mike Donato, thank you so much for uh, coming in and, and gracing the airwaves with, uh, with your wonderful personalities. And we are so looking forward to Merchant of Venice.